Um, next week, we're having our general business meeting, and I want to just give you a highlight about what that's about. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to get together. We're going to talk about, because there's an important decision that's going to be made uh, at fall council at the general conference that deals with how our church will relate to one another and to the employees. And so uh, we need to talk and we possibly about how we might respond to what is happening. Uh, so we're going to talk all about it. If you haven't heard anything about it, we'll be happy to share it with you through the week or next uh, next Sabbath. We'll take time to talk about that, but it'll be immediately right after our worship service and we'll take time for that. Okay, so going on today, uh, what about suffering? This is the last little bit, the last little part of a four-part series, and we deal with the most serious issue. And that issue has to deal with suffering in the world. Or we might call this, are the atheist's greatest objection to the th- theory that there is a God? And that great experience before them. I've been reading and sharing with you some that come out of the book Unbelievable by Justin Beerley and uh, that Linda shared with me, as I mentioned uh, a couple weeks, and how uh, much that book, as I read that book and his answers, he is a um, talk show host in England and a Christian radio station in which he invites people to come in and share many different points of view. And I invite you to take a chance to look at that book and to have that, if you like it, you can get it at Amazon.com. I think you can get the whole world coming to your door from Amazon.com. But here we go. So is there an explanation for why, despite the existence of all-powerful, all-loving God, suffering, pain, and evil are allowed to exist in the world? Is there some kind of an explanation that could be given, that could be understood. And this is a tough topic. It's not easy to just kind of run by it and say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But we need to be challenged by it and to be in our own thinking because it is presented to us as a thought together. If God really does exist, how can he allow the suffering in this world? How can he allow to go? And, you know, that's a very good question. A very good question. It is almost reflected in the words of Martha as she met with Jesus. And if you remember the story of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, Lazarus was their, was their brother, and Mary and Martha, they're very close family to Jesus. And Lazarus was sick, remember the story? And so they sent, uh, Jesus was out recreation and, and relaxing with his disciples, and they sent they sent a messenger and said, come quickly, come quickly, as quickly as you can, because Lazarus is very sick, the one whom you love, she said. The message said. So Jesus said, thank you very much, and he waited. He was on R&R, and he could not have his vacation interrupted by this. <laughs> well, that's what the disciples may have thought at the moment. Remember, with God, there's no hurry and there's no delay. With God, there is no emergency. Did you know that? It's never an emergency. Because whatever human problem may exist, God has a solution. Amen. So when Jesus eventually, he waited until Lazarus had fallen asleep and had died. Now he comes. And as he shows up in the village, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you can go to Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And as you make your way there to Bethany, as he made his way, you could see him coming up through the way and 
Martha heard that he was coming and went out to see him. And she asked the most critical question and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You could have done something, you didn't do any. That's the basic question around, why do you let so much suffering go on in the world? If you're an all-powerful God, all-loving God, how could you let so much suffering go on in the world around us? Justin goes on to say, the problem of suffering is unquestionably the single most important question uh, to God that has ever existed and ever will. How could you allow suffering? But are there reasons... Are there reasons why God allows pain and suffering in our world? Are there reasons? Well, to be fair, to be fair, we rarely understand God's actions. We rarely do. I had a very close family friend who, uh, he and his wife, his wife, um, just were getting ready to go skiing on vacation. She wasn't feeling very well, and so she went into the emergency room. And when she went into the emergency room, she was a nurse. She said, I'm just not feeling well. They checked her out, immediately put her in the hospital, found out she had cancer. Amy and they were very serious about it. End of vacation, stayed home. She had a really unusual and a rapid form of cancer, and then, of course, immediately did everything they could and so forth. And I went in, I went and visited them, and I... Spending whole hours and hours in prayer in the chapel, praying for them, anointed her. And in about four or five months, she passed away, leaving two little children, her husband. While in the next room was a man with the very same cancer, who was a hell's angel, and he survived. And I was angry. And I went and challenged God. I went back to the chapel and said, God, I don't understand this. And I'm mad at you. (laughs) It's okay. He didn't strike me, as you can see. So the most common response to the problem of suffering is known as what is known as the free will defense. The free will defense. Because none of us are forced to believe. None of us are in the place that you have to. God did not give it. Now, some people say, well, I sure did. If you don't believe, you go to hell. But fear is never a good factor, is it? Fear fear is not the one that will keep you from doing it. Fear is not the background. You must have something else. And so... Obviously, they're not afraid because they don't believe. So fear is not the thing. And at the basis of this, and our argument here this morning, is God's gift of freedom to every one of us. God gives us freedom, which brings with it the ability, the freedom of choice. You get to choose. You can choose. Just as Jesus walked the earth, and those Jews and people who followed him saw him, listened to him, were we able to understand, do we believe or not? Are we able to believe? And their response, their method, their, their thing about what they did in responding to that was very much theirs. And the concept comes to it, you basically reap 
what you sow. Did you grow up with that? I grew up with that in my mind. You reap what you sow. You're going to act like that, or it's going to catch up with you. You're going to do those kind of things, it's going to catch up with you. Eventually, eventually it does. And it happens. If you're going to be reckless. So he goes on to mention this in the gift of freedom and love that God has given us comes at a cost of an evil that people freely choose to carry out in the world. That evil can be done in the world because God gave the argument of choice, gave us the ability to choose. And therefore, we have people like these gentlemen who did horrendous evil in the world, did they not? Horrendous evil, murdering millions of people, murdering them. They made their choices. It's not, it's not a pleasant topic to talk about that people could have the power over them and cause so much destruction, so much death, so much suffering. It's dictators come to power. But it is the world of choice in which we live. Say, well, Pastor, what about natural disasters? What about those, the suffering that comes from natural disasters that come into the world? If you were, uh, heard her prayer this morning, it talked about Indonesian earthquake. Did you, are you following that? There's an earthquake and then a tsunami. And when I checked this morning, there are over 400 dead so far. It happened in the last 24 hours or so. Terrible destruction. Terrible things have happened, and you can see that in this little town. There's pictures from the town. Are just wiped out. Everything just leveled. Say, where is God in all that? Where is God in his protective hand on that? I want to say this kindly and, and carefully. And I run the risk of being misunderstood. So if you misunderstand me or think this guy's crazy, come talk to me. I'll try to straighten it out. On occasion, I've had people say, do you know what you said? And I'll say, yeah. I said, so, no, that's not what you said. Oh, my. So I want to be careful about this. Even in many natural disasters, choices were made about protection, building codes, etc. Choices were made that made the natural disaster that much worse. Now, there may be reasons, logical, solid reasons, because you have some incredibly poor countries. But choices, human choices are often made when a natural disaster comes along to have that. For example, having a dam and building your house right below it, an earthen dam, and along comes and wash, and wash away goes your home. There are those like that. It's happened. So, to be fair, there are choices that we make, whether in the government or whether in our own individual, and others affect us. There are those choices that happen. Not every natural disaster, but many of them. 
I think about Irma out here that went blowing by here last September. Our church stood like a rock. I'm sure God's protection, but we also built it to stand like a rock. We tried to make it as solid as we possibly could, and it stood like a rock against 142 mile an hour winds. Our trees did not do so well. And some of you had homes that are not built for 142 mile an hour winds. And so you had some damage. Fortunately, here we had in our church no loss of life. But that experience of choices that were made, when we built, we made some choices. Made a building goat. Having. So choices are made, those different things. So that does affect. But there's also another factor that is very uncomfortable to talk about. And that is, it also relates to those who have, and this family has a nice little vehicle to get around, those who have, and those who do not have, the have-nots. That have the ability, if you have enough money, and you know Irma is coming, you go over and get on your $60 million jet and fly away. But some are on foot and can't walk any farther, can't get out of the way any farther they can walk in a short time. So we also recognize that formula in there. We also recognize the things like the hurricane that went through Haiti, the damage that happened, and we know that there is corruption involved in trying to get supplies, trying to help. We, know, we understand that, that that happens. That's the world in which we live. Now, years ago, I read a book by Edith Schaefer entitled Affliction. I think you can still get it. Uh, entitled Affliction. And I was fascinated by her um, writing. She's Francis Schaefer's wife from Europe. Now, in her book, she describes some things that I thought were rather intriguing. She tried to deal with this issue of God letting suffering And how could a loving God let this happen and this disaster is happening? Very interesting book. Why do, another book that was came out was why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you saw that one too. But in affliction, she describes something very interesting. She said, in your mind, if you could imagine in heaven two rooms, two large rooms, and each one had statues in it. Statues there. So let's take an example she would use. And that is, one of the statues that would be there would be of Stephen. He was stoned. Now, do you think the church was praying for Stephen? I believe the church was desperately praying for Stephen, their their deacon. I bet they were. And the stoning of Stephen happened. And he did not survive. There's reasons behind that that we know prophetically. But, but if you were living during that time, and if you were in his church, and you knew Stephen as a personal friend, that would be a horrendous experience, would it not? And you would say, we prayed and we prayed and we knew this was going bad. And he stood and gave that logical reason in his sermon, one of the great sermons in the scripture. He gave up that great sermon there in the book of Acts 7. And then they took him out and stoned him. And killed him. So Edith would say, 
there would be in one room a statue, a statue of Stephen, the martyr who was stoned. In the other room, there would be a statue of Paul, who was stoned three times, but survived each one. So why did Stephen, who got prayed for, get stoned and died, and Paul, who got stoned three times, but survived? How could that, how could that happen? Well, maybe they didn't use big stones or it was an anger. You know, we can make a lot of stuff about that. So that picture, that concept, means that she was drawing the point, for every victory, there seems to be one that went the other direction. And the reason she gives for that, the reason she talks about that, is because we are in a war zone. We are in a war zone. Now, we wouldn't gather that as we got up this morning and came over. Here's Michelle and I at our little party. Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't gather that, that um, we're in a war zone because we have parties and we have birthday things and we do go on, we go to shopping, I go down to Publix and I, I get my gas and I go all the way around and nobody shoots me, nobody kills me and I'm doing fine and I'm, I feel comfortable, blah, 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 I do my shopping, blah, 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 I get my hair cut. But in reality, we are in a war zone where the struggle is far beyond flesh and blood, right? The Bible says far beyond flesh and blood. Something far more serious that's happening, more deadly than flesh and blood. We might identify that as the great controversy. Great controversy. Of course, Ellen White did that. She's, she identified this as the great controversy between Christ and Satan. This great war that was going on and rages here in our world. Would you open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 12? Revelation chapter 12. So this battle, this raging that goes back and forth, this, this constant raging within, we are part of that. And we see that war being rolled out day by day. We saw it in the last 24 hours in Indonesia. We saw it happening on Capitol Hill. Did we not? Revelation chapter 12, have you found it? Revelation chapter 12. Let's look at verse 7. And then war broke out in heaven. Where did it break out? In heaven. Michael and his angels fought. Michael, named for Christ. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. There's a war. But he was not strong enough, the Bible says, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And he was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him, the Bible says. So there was a war, took place in heaven, 
And then he came down to earth, and if you know the story in the scriptures of Adam and Eve and the fall, that the war then came to this world. And in reality, we are all feeling the results. We're all feeling the results. And we all participate in it. So how do we handle that particular view of that? How do we look at that? Well, I was interested in this lady. She made this, she, she took this view. She was looking at this view and she, she said, well, when good things happen around, I say, that is from God. This, this, this activity is from God. But when bad things happen to me, happen to it, I say, this isn't from God. God would not do that, but let things roll out that we reap what we sow. Which comes to the question of what does God ultimately want from humans he created? What does he ultimately want us to do? What part of that? How are we to be that? So here's a key here. The purpose is that the purpose of God to have us all be happy, comfortable, and pain-free. That's God's purpose, to do that. Or is it God's purpose to have us know and love him? And it all depends. It all comes down to comes down to, do I trust God? Do I trust God? So they struggle, this war that we are in, that all of us, every one of us, has had different effects, different parts, different things struggling in our own lives, and you know these things. You know how these things work, don't you? Because you have felt it yourself. You have felt those things yourself. You know how the pain and things and suffering that happen in your own life. Now, as I get older, it's rather odd to get up out of bed, and now I'm, I think, I still think I'm a youth. Still think I'm a youth. But I get up out of bed, and I go, oh, my lands, not another one. Not another pain. I must have slept wrong or something. What in the world? I've noticed I go see the doctor a lot more regularly. As I get older, they, uh, let's say it this way, as I get a little more mature, let's say it that way, I, I find myself needing to go to the doctor for all kinds of things. And so this morning, this morning, I open every morning and I start setting out my bottles of pills that I have to take. Something for the eyes, something for the nose, something for the heart, something for the allergy, something for my brain, something for my brain, if I remember. It's something to help me remember. Did I forget it? I don't remember. Those, those guys, and I lay this all out, and I look at that, and I said, what happened? What happened? And then in the evening, I have to repeat it. Before you go to bed, set out your pills, let them all out. It is life and the struggle, and God never intended my life would be that I'd be setting out pills like that. 
but it's where I am. It's where you are, is it not? It's where you are. Romans 8, 28. All we know that is in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things we know that God works for the good of those who love him. And even Stephen, when he stoned, looked up and saw Christ, had that encounter he saw about, he stood for the faith, that brave, bold Christian man, who gave that incredible sermon. He saw the good. Even Job if he slay me, yet will I serve him. Slay him. Now there's one more little part that we have to add to the part of God's suffering. And that has to deal with Christ on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave, come on, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That Christ went to the cross, suffered the humiliation of his creature's anger against the creator. And they killed him. God's own son knew what it meant to suffer. So not every answer can we just stamp say, oh yeah, proof, proof, proof. Like we might with science or naturalism or again, so we might. But it comes to suffering. God knows our suffering. Because he experienced this earth. He knows every pain, everything that you endure. And he loves you. And as a loving God, he has something far better for you prepared. Aren't you glad of that? So I won't wake up with aches and pains. I won't take all those pills. For God has something far better when he comes and takes me home. Many of you who are older, more mature, more mature, I was going to use that term. Those who are more mature, you understand how life changes through your experience, how your bodies change and everything. God will come. He will restore us to where he had us originally. And what he envisions for you. Why? There's no other reason why God would come and do this for you other than he loves you. That's only, that's it. Why would he choose you? Because he loves you. That's all. And he wants you to be with him. He wants you to be with him. That's all there is. Come, be with me. And when you come be with me, I have some things I'm going to give you because you are my best and loving child. 
Dear Father, I thank you for Christ's gift upon the cross. I thank you, Lord, that we can have that gift, precious gift, the credible suffering of Christ when he went to Calvary and he paid for our sins. He paid the price of sin and by doing so secured us freedom. I thank you, Lord, for that. We praise you as we sing hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise to the Lord, praise to the Lord our God who loved us and cared for us today. There may be some here who need to make that step to say, okay, I'm going to put my trust in that God. I'm going to follow you and love you. I pray for you if you're doing that, that you make that decision. For the rest of us today, lift up our hearts and rejoice. We live in a war zone. We live where there's controversy and things going back and forth. Yet today, we can be of courage because our God reigns. In Jesus' precious and holy name.